0: All right, tonight we're going to move on from uh, what we've been looking at together, Every Thought Captive. I hope that time was beneficial for you. Uh, we're going to look at something tonight, and uh, what we're going to look at is a particular passage of Scripture. And so if you would turn there with me, please, I have it on the screen. It's 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, if you'd turn there in your Bible. Now while we're going to focus our attention on 13 through 16, I'd actually like to start reading at the beginning of chapter 4, okay? So I'd like to go ahead and, and just begin by reading this chapter, and then I'll tell you why uh, I chose for us to focus our attention on this passage tonight, okay? So let's just look at it. It's First Timothy chapter 4, and we're just going to read through that whole chapter. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage, require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the Word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love in faith and purity, We're going to, like I said, focus our attention on verses 13 through 16 tonight. And the reason that I chose this particular passage is because it was on my mind as I was rolling over in my mind, as I do, uh, thoughts about this past Sunday and the particular passage that we were in on Sunday morning. And. We looked at things in such a way, and I was I was almost trying to have as much as I could an out of body experience. Okay, I, I tried to because I, I a lot of times I'll go back and I'll I'll rewatch all the sermons that I preach. Okay, and uh, I was doing this on Monday, and I was trying to just kind of pull myself back from it, and I was just listening to it, and uh, I was just thinking as I was as I was listening to it that both for me and I think for many others, what we're actually doing on Sunday mornings is really weird. It's really strange. It's a foreign concept. It's a foreign concept to me um, that we would take our time to press ourselves so deeply and intricately into what the scriptures are saying for a particular reason and to take them so seriously. I contrast that with my experience growing up. Um, I didn't necessarily grow up in church. However, I was in church at times as a child and in particular as I was a teenager. But my experience was very, very different. Uh, The preaching of the word of God was not primary in those places that I was in. And actually, as I thought about it, the places that I've been even as an adult, the preaching of the word was not primary. It was really not even secondary. It was more so the community aspect that was primary and what we did together as people to hold us together and the activities that we were involved in and the relationships were actually primary and then other things fell in place underneath that, that primary thing, okay? So if something was gonna give, it's not gonna be this thing up here, the relationships, the activities, the things we do. The, what's gonna give are all the things that fall up underneath it. So uh, these types of things took a back seat to whatever else was important. And when you think about that, the other things that are important actually receive more time and attention. So the things that receive the most time and the most attention are the things that a church finds most important, would you agree? The things that get the most time and the most attention are the things that the church finds most significant. And so I was just, I, I, I had removed myself as much as I could from the situation and I was just thinking about a bigger picture issue here and I was even asking myself, why is this what we have chosen? When we, get, when we get together, even tonight, when we get together corporately, why is it primarily the activity that we're involved in? Why is, why is this the activity that we're primarily involved in? That's the question. Why do we primarily spend the bulk, the majority of our time in the word of God, the way that we do? Why is that the focus and not something else? Because when you look at, and, and maybe you do this, maybe you don't. I, I realize that I'm weird. I know that I'm weird. You don't have to tell me that. I know that I'm weird. I, lo- I, I, I look at and listen to church services from all different denominations and times and places. And I do this in the background of other things that I'm doing. And I it, it is almost like, In in a sense, it's like research in my mind as far as gaining an understanding of where the church is, right? And so I don't like necessarily secondhand knowledge and people telling me the state of the church. I want to know myself, what are other churches spending their time doing? What is the primary emphasis? What is the focus? When the church gathers corporately, what are they doing? What's the issue at hand? What is the task to settle before everyone goes home? When you've gathered together, what do you expect to accomplish when we come together? That if you didn't do that thing, then oh well, we didn't do that and so I'm upset about it. Or I didn't have that experience and so I I don't like that, I feel uncomfortable, I missed out, we didn't do what we were supposed to do. What is that thing that we were supposed to do? Uh, Is there one thing? Well, I think that there are multiple things that we are to be doing as a church, but I think we can identify the primary thing that we are to be doing together. I think that is obvious in scripture, and the reason I chose this passage is because it becomes ve- it's just very explicit in this picture, or in this, in this, uh, in this text. When I said picture, I don't know what word I meant to come out of my mouth. Picture has nothing to do with anything I'm talking about. In this particular text, it's very clear what's being said. So with that in mind, however blurry of an image that was that I just uh, gave to you, let's read verses 13 through 16 and see if I can bring you full circle to why it is that I chose this passage. Verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress, and keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. When you read a text like this, And Paul is training up Timothy, who is then also training elders in churches in many different locations. He is giving him a pattern and he is giving him several imperatives. Just remember in scripture that imperatives are important because imperatives are the actual action words that are telling somebody their commands. They're telling somebody to do something. Not every imperative you read in scripture is an imperative placed on all believers. However, there are implications to be made when an imperative is given to someone else. So Paul is giving imperatives, commands, to Timothy. And he begins by saying, until I come, here's what you are to be doing. This should take your primary emphasis and energy. If anything falters or fails, it should not be this. And so what does he tell him to do? What we have is kind of a, a, in just these few verses, we have several imperative phrases here. Okay? The first one, though, is, it says, uh, let's see. Until I come, that is, from now until I come, and every time in between, here's what you're to be doing. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. Okay, he starts by saying, devote yourself. Devote yourself. This is the first imperative. This means, specifically, give particular attention to this and be concerned about these particular things until I come. I just want you to notice for a second what is not present right here. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. I'll share with you uh, that I was reading a, uh, and I'll just preface this by saying I got it in the mail for free, okay? I didn't buy this thing. I was reading a Christianity Today magazine. And I had shared this with some others already. it's, 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 It's relevant. And it was talking about AI and the use, the pastor's use of AI, And the question was, should the pastor use AI to write his sermons? Because you can. It's very easy. Um, And the answer in this article, which was the center spread main article of this issue, and the answer was yes, the pastor should use AI to its full extent. And the reason for that is because then the pastor can focus on actually doing ministry you can go to the hospital, you can go to visits, you can go to counseling, you can um, do leadership, you can do whatever else you need to do, that all the stuff that's actual ministry you can now actually do if this whole sermon writing thing was just out of the way. So yes, use AI. And, and what this does is it, it shows something, but that the primary emphasis is, is actually, it's completely turned on its head is that the preparation and the giving of the word of God to the people of God is not even seen as the primary ministry activity of the pastor. The reading of the word of God, the studying of the word of God and the preaching of the word of God is the primary activity of the pastor. It is the primary activity of the ministry of the pastor. It is. It is primary. I'm not saying that there are not other things. Yes, I, I agree with you that there are, there are other things, but I'm saying that this is primary and the scriptures themselves tell us that this is primary. So he says, until I come, devote yourself to these three things. Let's just look at these three things for a moment. First, to the public reading of scripture. Do you see that in your, in your Bible? To the public reading of scripture. Your, yours might say to the reading of scripture or to reading. Okay. The reason that some of yours doesn't say public reading, if you don't have an ESV, the reason it doesn't say public reading is because public reading is implied. It's not actually in the original. It's not in the Greek. But the word used for reading is a certain type of reading that was done in the synagogue. Devote yourself to the type of reading that's done in the synagogue. That's what's, being, and what type of reading is done in the synagogue? Public reading. That's when one person, like Jesus did, we know this, right? he went and grabbed the scroll and he opens it and he reads it, and that's what was practiced. So he's saying, devote yourself to this. Not necessarily just in a Jewish way, but there was actually a very Christian way, a new way of practicing this as well, because now there were more scriptures to read, and the New Testament itself affirms this reality. So, for example, Colossians 4.16, listen to what it says. When this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. See to it also that you read the letter from Laodicea. Now, when read is used, it was in a capacity kind of like this when the church would gather, rather than, or in, possibly in a, a corporate setting, many times though in homes, and given that the illiteracy rate was through the roof at that time, um, only a handful of people could read, and so it was important then that the scriptures were read to you. Not only that, it's because everyone didn't have copies of these things. So there was one copy of it. It landed here. It would go to the elders of the church. And then what are you supposed to do? Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of these, to Scripture, to all of Scripture. Just read it. Is that a foreign concept alone? For example, when we first started, I read the entire chapter of 1 Timothy chapter 4. I don't know, and this is just my experience. Your experience may be very different. But my experience is that in the churches that I came from, at least in Michigan, this was never done. I never just heard the Bible read. It was about storytelling. Illustrations. And that's so unfortunate. Now you might say, but we all have Bibles at home. Uh, you know what, that's true. Uh, I was not really encouraged to read my Bible, but I had one. I hope that here, at least, you feel encouraged to read your Bible, such as the New Testament in 90 days, which we're getting near the end of, by the way. This is important for us to read the Bible. The church needs to have biblical literacy Do you think, generally speaking, that the church at large is biblically literate? You talk about Bible stories, concepts, theological concepts, issues from Scripture, and someone says, oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. let's have that conversation. Let's talk about that. I know exactly what, what you're talking about. Because we're just literate in what the Scriptures have to say. I believe that there is a very high, very high illiteracy rate of Scripture among many people who call themselves Christians. They just simply don't know what the Bible says. There is a personal responsibility on that. In that sphere, you are accountable, but there is a corporate responsibility on that as well, is that the church also has a role to play. Your church needs to be making you biblically literate. Right? I hope that's happening here, that we're realizing what scripture has to say we're becoming biblically literate. I, I did just have another one to, to back up what I'm saying here. 1 Thessalonians 5.27. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the, bro- the brothers. Why? Because the reading of scripture is important. The giving of the word of God to the people of God is important. So, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. I mean, already an application here is that you realize that on a, very, on a personal level, the reason that there must be a devotion from the leadership of the church to the church, to the reading of Scripture, is because the people of God need the Word of God. You need the Word of God. We all do. We need the Word of God. We must have it. You need it in your life, every day. You never arrive at being biblically literate enough. None of us. We need more. We need it every day. So, okay, so what else should Timothy then be devoting himself to as he's waiting on Paul? The second thing it says is to exhortation. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, and then number two, exhortation. What is that? What is exhortation? It does not say exposition, okay? It's a different word. It says exhortation. How are we to understand that? This is talking more about not necessarily just the giving of the Word of God, but an encouragement of, uh, to hear the word of God and for it to actually have an impact in your life. That's what this is about. It's an encouragement to take what you have heard in your ears and to actually have it make an impact in your life. It's an appeal from scripture to godly living. I would maybe say it that way. An appeal to godly living. The root of this idea of, of exhortation um, uh, you know the word uh, parakletos or paraclete? You know the word paraclete? You probably do because this is the word that's given of the Holy Spirit when Jesus says, I'm going to send another helper. That's the word paraclete, parakletos. And this is the root of the idea of, of exhortation. It's actually help encouragement. That's the idea. And so he says, until I come... Devote yourself not only to the public reading of scripture, but also to exhortation, to calling people and encouraging them and comforting them and helping them with the word. It has to do with taking that word and bringing it into your own life. A couple of passages here on that. 1 Corinthians 1.10. I, I brought that up because we just recently were reading that together on Sunday morning. First 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you and that you might be united in the same mind and the same judgment. How does he start all of this? He says what? I appeal to you. It's the same word as exhortation. I exhort you. So do you get the feel of it, of what exhortation is? I appeal to you. I'm exhorting you. Listen. By the name of the Lord Jesus all of you need to agree and that there's no divisions among you, that you're united. Same mind, same judgment. So it is, it is teaching, but it's bringing the word of God to bear on their lives that they might conform to it. That's what it is, okay? Or another one, Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, so there it is, it's, it's translated there again, appeal. I appeal to you, I exhort you to do something. That, that's what exhortation is. I'm asking you to do something here. You got the idea? So until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture and then also to exhortation to not let the, the, the public reading of scripture fall on deaf ears don't let them just hear it, but call them to do it. And we need that, don't we? 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 through 13 is another good one, and we'll move on to the third thing. 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 through 13. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you to his own kingdom and glory, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not only as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Okay, so there it is there. Like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. So there it is, a call to action. You take the truth of the word of God that they have heard, and now you're calling them to live by it. That's exhortation. So, where are we then primarily hearing the word of God read and then an exhortation to live according to it? A picture is coming through here, right? Third thing. It says, do not neglect the gift you, uh, excuse me, excuse me, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and then the final thing, teaching. Teaching. if the public reading of scripture is the bringing of the word of God, right, to the ears of the people of God, and then exhortation is then calling the people to then hear what it's saying, and saying, now do something with that, then what is teaching? What missing component do we have here? This more so, if I could could maybe use different words here, I would call this first concept, the public reading of scripture, okay, biblical literacy, and then exhortation would be personal maturity, right? And then teaching would be theological fidelity or having uh, having a growth in your understanding of theology that you don't remain simplistic, but that it grows and you start to understand things in a very more narrow way, not narrow in a bad way, narrow in a good way. Okay, so almost think about it as you use a camera uh, all of you have Okay, you take the camera up and you see the thing uh, there's already something going on here and you can take a picture it uh, looks good well it looks good except that it's blurry you can kind of tell what it is but it's not super clear and so the teaching of the word of God and theological fidelity is almost like taking that lens and bringing things into focus so you see them more clearly that's what's happening right? You're not meant to live with this big blurry image of, yeah, there's a God out there somewhere, the big guy upstairs. That's a very blurry image of who God is, wouldn't you all agree? So we need to tune that thing in and say, now more, oh, now I see it. I see it very clearly, and because I see it, I can now explain it, and my heart understands it as well. And the better I understand it, guess what? The more sense the reading of scripture makes to me, and the more sense that the exhortation makes to me because I actually understand what's being said. So all three components must be there. So for example, you could have a reading of scripture and exhortation teaching, but all on kindergarten level, right? And we'd be doing that. But there must be growth, right? We can't stay teaching at a particular level. That's not the idea. The idea is that there might be progress. And how do we get progress? By pressing in over and over to these things. It's not like read the scripture once and then they probably got it. Teach a theology 101 and then just be done with it. Like a two hour seminar after church one day or something. And then they've got it. Good to go. Or is this more so, until I come, devote yourself to these things. Devote yourself. And when the people come and they say, enough, can we just do something fun already? You know, like the pastor coming in on like a zip line or, I mean, just just spice it up a little bit or something. Let's do something here. Now, what does it say specifically to Timothy? What is he to give his energy to? That's an interesting thought. Put yourself in the shoes of Timothy and not the church what is he to do he is to devote himself to these things when well on just on sundays cuz that's the only days that pastor's work but that's obviously not the idea is it is that he is to give his life to these things he is to devote himself to these things and that becomes a little bit more clear actually as we as we should we eventually get to the rest of these verses here. But what's being said is that you need to give yourself over to these things. Now flip it around, put yourself in the seats and Timothy's maybe standing here and you're on the receiving end. And this, letter's being, this letter itself is being read to the church. And now the church is hearing that Paul wanted Timothy to devote himself to these three things until he comes. And now the church is, says what in, in response? But that's not what we like to do. Paul didn't say, take a survey and see what the church wants to do and whatever they want to do, just do that. However, wouldn't you have to agree with me that it's almost as if that is what's happening. Just figure out what the people want to do, figure out what they think is fun and entertaining, and just do that. More people will come. But that's that's, that's not the point. That's completely not the point. We're not free to decide these things, okay? Just as Timothy wasn't. Was Timothy free to just decide how to spend his time? He wasn't. He was told what to do. So we should give ourselves to these things as well. That we should devote ourselves to these things as the elders of the church devote themselves to it. The church's response to that should be Thank you for devoting yourself to what the scriptures told you to devote yourself to and not these other things. Thank you for making the primary things primary. That should be the response. Verse 14. Oh, I didn't even read my extra verses on that one, did I? Teaching. Okay, well, we don't, let's just go to 2 Timothy chapter three. Just a few verses right there. So we were looking at the three things. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. And we're talking about that teaching element. And just to supplement that idea, 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 13. Listen to what it says. Well, evil uh, people and imposters go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed Knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are to, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom I've read this before we've talked about it, but what an incredible charge and weight Paul just laid on Timothy's lap. Listen to that. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. That's a lot of weight you just brought right there, Paul. Whatever you're about to say, you just brought a lot of weight with it. You just reminded me that you charge me in in the presence of God, and he judges all people, whether they're alive or dead. So he's going to judge you And here's what he wants them to do. Preach the word. And be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching for, why? Because the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So knowing that that's coming Here's what I charge you to do, to not be persuaded by that, but not to be persuaded by the masses who want to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And if you didn't know, if you've never been in those shoes before, you should know that there is a great temptation. One of the greatest weaknesses of this is that pastors almost, as a profession in a sense, if we can speak of it that way, If that's where you make your living, and the jobs that pay the best happen to be in the churches that teach the worst, then you find yourself in a very particular situation. If I want the job that pays, I'm going to have to go to the place that tells me what I can and can't say. I'm going to have to play by their rules, play their game. But if I don't do that, then I kind of limit myself. And there's my family in the midst of it all. Interesting situation to think about. But what Paul is telling Timothy, don't be persuaded. Do what you know to do. Preach the word. The time's coming when people will not want to hear it, but that is what it is. You preach the word and be ready always in season and out of season. Teach. We need teaching. Okay, moving on through these verses here in chapter 4. Here comes our next imperative. So our first imperative was devote yourself. The next imperative is do not neglect. Here's what you are to do. And make sure you don't neglect something here. What should he not neglect? The gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So Timothy had a particular gifting of God on his life and Paul tells him, you have a gifting of God on your life and my charge to you right now is not only to devote yourself to the public reading of scripture and to exhortation and to teaching, but to not neglect the gift that you've been given. And wouldn't you know it that all all these things actually work together, don't they? Because the means by which Timothy is able to Do the previous things listed is by the gifting of God given to him. Right? Doesn't that only make sense? You have been given a gift of God. Now use that gift of God to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. You've been given a gift. Don't neglect it. Do what you've been gifted to do. Don't neglect it. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. What gift might he have that he might not neglect it? Ephesians 4 tells us of the gifting of God, particular, particularly in the offices that the Lord gives to his church. Beginning in verse 11, it says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and to mature manhood and the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ, Now, I'm going to just read this again here, but I want you to think of it maybe through this lens. What do gifted offices in the church exist for? What is their purpose? How do they affect you and how do they affect me? And are they done? Have they done their job? Have we finished? So just think about it like that, okay? So he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. For what purpose? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Is that done? You equipped completely and don't need to be equipped anymore? For the building up of the body of Christ. You fully built up, don't need to be built up anymore? Until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Do we have that? to mature manhood to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ are you there so that we might no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves of every wind of doctrine and human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes what is actually the primary emphasis given to why there needs to be apostles apostles prophets evangelists shepherds and teachers that the church would not be tossed to and fro by doctrine, teaching, teachings. Why are teachings so important? Because what you believe matters. Because it impacts the way you live and what you give approval to, actually, also. Do you know that when you give approval to something, it's as if you're doing it yourself? Right? You're saying, yeah, I mean, I don't want to do that. Let's just go back to me murdering Sam, okay? If you say, if I, if I tell you, I just, I have it as my heart's desire to murder Sam and I wake up every day thinking about it, number one, is that desire evil even though I haven't acted on it? And the answer, yes. But then you say to me, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't do it, but I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't care if you do. I wouldn't do it, but go ahead. Are you free from any kind of blame in this situation? Even if I don't actually do it, but you gave approval to me to do it. Is that okay? No. So then, what if I didn't know that murdering was wrong? Out of my lack of knowledge, I gave approval to something. Oh, well, there we go. Exactly. Now, we do it, apply that on a, uh, a thing that we're, we know. It's pretty black and white. But what about all these other things in life that we give hearty approval to, but we don't understand what we're giving approval to? Or maybe we do, and we, just, we, we, don't, we don't properly have the understanding that we need to have at all times and all situations, none of us. But the issue is, doctrine impacts the way we live, doesn't it? What you believe impacts the way you live. So you need to be careful about what you believe, and it's not okay to just not know what you believe. Do you think we live in the midst of a culture? I'm just saying, like, in in the American culture, 2023, that it's a culture that says, you know, be informed. Know what you know. Be passionate and convicted about what you know. Or, I'll contrast that with a different idea. Be passionate and convicted about how you feel. Which is true. They're not both true. Right? What we know should inform the way we feel rather than what we feel informing how we act right? So what we know matters. What we believe matters. Doctrine matters. It impacts everything, right? So we need God to gift his church that we might grow in our knowledge, and that's the very reason that he's done it. And Timothy was given a gift of God And Paul says, don't neglect it, use it. God put you there for a reason. 1 Timothy 5.17 also says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Why might that be? Why is that held in high esteem? Well, I think going through this the way we have, it becomes clear, doesn't it? It's because that's very important. That is primary for the church. The church needs that. I, I just I believe that the preaching and teaching of the word of God, in many circumstances, is is just put way down on the list of most important things. I'm not saying in our church. I don't obviously I don't believe that here. But I'm I'm just I'm saying that if we're not careful in our minds, maybe we lose focus on what it is that we're doing here and what the primary thing we are to be doing here is. What is the primary thing we're to be giving ourselves to and why is that important? What do the scriptures have to say about that? About this idea of Timothy neglecting his gift, by the way, 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 7, it says, for this reason I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God give us a spirit, of, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you. You ever put that together before? God gave Timothy a gift, and Paul says two things. One, don't neglect it, and two, fan it into flame. What? I thought the gift of God was the gift of God, and it just is what it is. Well, that seems to not be the case. It seems to be that God gifts and that gift is to not be neglected and that gift is to be fanned into flame. So there is an element there that there is a personal responsibility to take the gifting of God and to actually do something with it, to lean into it, to give yourself over to the gifting of God. All right. He also says, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by the prophecy of the councils and the elders and the laying of their hands. Number uh, Verse 15 Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them. This is that idea, isn't it? Of Timothy fanning into flame the gift of God. Practice these things. What things? These things. Right. What things are those? The things that we just talked about. You know. Uh, by the way, this practice means to. Um, actually, a, a word that's that's given here for this is cultivate, and I'm just thinking here. I actually think that's an appropriate concept here. Is that it's to it is to cultivate um, practice to cultivate. That means to do something, understanding that there is progress to be made right? There is progress to be made here. In what? In your exhortation, in your teaching. Give yourself over to it and practice. Why does he need to practice? Why does he need to give himself to it? To what end? To what benefit? To the benefit of the people. That's what I want you to hear. This is going somewhere. It's for the church's benefit. This is what the church needs. There are many things that many people think they need from their church. And I will tell you, the primary thing you need from your church is the word of God. That's what you need from your church. Primarily. That's what you need. That's what this is telling us. Our felt needs are different sometimes. Can we all agree with that? They're like, oh man, I just wish that we fill in the blank. And I know that that's a felt need. And that... uh, And I understand that there is a time and a place and that we are a group of people who get together and try to learn how to do life together and we do, that's that's all true and that's all good. But must we have these things? What must we have and what must we be doing and what must we be giving ourselves to? That's a very different answer than I wish we had these other things, isn't it? So let's not put them on the same category, right? What must we have? We must have devotion to the word of God. Why? Because that's what the people of God need, and we didn't make that up. That's what God told us. In his word, that's what we need. We need the word. Even when we don't feel like it, it is what we need. That is what we need. So he says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them. uh, I'm gonna keep going here with these uh, a little bit faster, but just picture that that is the lifestyle that he's giving to this man of God who is given over to the church for the teaching of the church is that he is to give his whole life and immerse his life into the teaching of the word of God that's that's his life immerse yourself in it dip yourself down into those waters and don't come out that's your life the word teaching So for the church to do what they need to do in order for this person to be able to immerse themselves into that, would you say that's a good thing? Yes, I would say that's a very good thing, right? This is no like call to action here on my behalf. I'm just saying that is what the word is saying here, right? The church has done that for me. I'm very thankful for that. The church has put me in a place to where I can do that. I'm very thankful for that and it's my hope that the church then reaps the benefits of that right that's my hope and he says persist in this that's what's next all these are all these are imperatives all these are just one after another charges given to Timothy he's commanding him to do these things Timothy has no option does he it's just this is what you will do this is your job detail Timothy don't neglect your gift Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. So that all may see your progress. Progress in what? He's to get better, isn't he? He's to get better at his teaching. He's to hone his gift. And if he is fanning into flame the gift of God, there will be progress, right? Right? Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Okay. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. And I just find it very interesting uh, right here because this is essentially another way of talking about the qualifications for, for an elder. Yourself and your teaching. Keep a close watch on yourself. That is all the present tense character qualifications for an elder. And then you have on the teaching. And what is that defining factor of an elder that he must be able to teach? And not only teach whatever, like I can teach math. Does that make me qualified as an elder? Well, that's not what we're talking about. Not that kind of teaching. Um, But he must be able to be sound in the faith and give instruction and rebuke those who contradict it. That's what it says. And so... There it is. Keep a close watch on these two things. What is it? Yourself, your character, and your teaching. Keep a close watch on these things. See, it's not just about what someone can say, is it? It's not just about how good they are at theology or about how skilled they are as an orator. No, that's not it. Keep a close watch on these. Your character and your teaching. Both are very important. Almost as if your life is a living, walking, breathing sermon. Right? And he says, persist in this. Why? Keep going at this. Don't ever give up. This is it. This is what it's all about. Persist in this. Go, go, go. For by so doing, here's the end result. This is where it all leads. All to what end, Paul? Why am I doing this? Because this will save both yourself and your hearers. Yeah, but will it let us have fun? Yeah, but will it grow numbers? Will it increase our bank account? Will it fill up all the seats in the church? That's what I want to know. Let's talk about church growth models here. Well, that, There's not even a category for that. Do you notice that? That's like not even what we're talking about. None of that is mentioned. What is mentioned is salvation. And what could be more important than that? Now, we're okay with, them, with saying that preaching is a means of salvation if we're properly understanding that salvation has three tenses, doesn't it? You are saved, past. You are being saved, present. And you will be saved, future, had all three of those things worked, you you are saved, past, justification. You are being saved, present tense, sanctification. And you will be saved one day, glorification and glory. And so, this is it. This is working out our salvation. And doesn't Paul tell us in Philippians 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Does that mean save yourself? No. But there is a personal responsibility here, isn't there? Now, what is going to grow the church? What is going to sanctify the church? What does the church need? The preaching of the word of God. Do you see what I see? I hope you see what I see, because this is our driving force as a, ch- as a church. This is what the church needs. The church needs the word of God. And yes, there is something special about the public reading of scripture, the public exhortation of scripture, and the public teaching of scripture because God actually does something through these activities in the church. It's not something that we get to just pick and choose if we want to be part of that or not. If you're not being part of that ministry of the church, then you're missing the whole point. That part feeds everything else. This is the beginning place It equips the saints for the work of ministry, right? And this is what we're doing. It's what we're doing now in this very moment. And it's why we've decided to spend nearly an hour on this text together. Because I find it very important. The word of God finds it very important. And I will also end by saying, and I'm so thankful that the Lord has been so gracious to me as to put me in the midst of a church that also finds this important. And this is where I ultimately wanted to go with what I'm talking about tonight. Taking what we talked about on Sunday morning, a difficult passage of scripture that I've personally never heard preached before. I've read things about it. But when we, get, when we walk through scripture together and we take our time and we emphasize what scripture emphasizes and the people of God say yes to that rather than we don't want to hear that, it is an incredible blessing and encouragement to me. It's a grace of God to me that the people of God want to hear the word of God for what it is. And I hope that you also feel bless the blessing of god to be in the middle of a group of people who also say yes this is the word of god and we corporately say amen to the word of god because it is what it is and we want to hear it and we want to grow in it together it's encouraging isn't it i'm very encouraged by it and i hope you are too so this is it isn't it do you do you see do you see what our emphasis ought to be and why we should take the time in the word of god the way we do I'll give, you, I'll give you a little bit of homework. I was going to go here, but I'm not going to. Go back and read, if you would, Colossians 1, 3 through 14. Colossians 1, 3 through 14. It ties together what we're talking about tonight with the idea of two, the two kingdoms that we talked about on Sunday morning. Colossians 1, 3 through 14. Okay? All right, with that, let me pray for us and we'll be through for tonight. Lord, thank you for our time together and thank you, for, thank you for your word. Thank you for the church that you have put together by your own strength, grace, power, might, and mercy in this particular time, in this particular place. Thank you for what you're doing and I pray that you would help us. We need help. We feel pressure from every side of us, contrary to what your word says. And so I pray that you would give us strength inside of us and our inner beings that we might be strengthened with the strength that comes from Christ, that you would help us to believe the things that are true. And to take those things and to have them inform the way we live and the things we give approval to. I pray that you would continue to grow this church. I pray that we would be an incredible light together shining in a dark world. And that we would all be standing on truth and the knowledge of Jesus Christ as we all grow in him together. And again, we thank you so much for what you're doing here uh, in and among us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I just want to tell